we're in week two of this series called Pilgrim Songs, and what we're doing, we're not, again, we're not singing the hymns of the Puritans from the 1600s, okay? So I didn't find this hymnal from the Mayflower, <laughs> okay? So that's not what this is. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at a few selected psalms that are between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134, and this grouping of psalms is traditionally called the Songs of Ascent, So these songs would be sung by ancient Israelites who were on pilgrimage from where they lived to their holy capital city of Jerusalem for uh, feasts and festivals and celebrations a few times throughout the year. So about three times a year they would travel and they would sing this selection of 15 psalms on their ascent to Jerusalem as they are on pilgrimage, as they're pilgrims on this journey to Jerusalem. And so what we're finding here is that we are also pilgrims on our own journey in life. We're on a spiritual journey. And so we can find relevance through these ancient songs. We can find sort of the same hope and the same a similar meaning uh, that the original audience or reader or singer would have had with these psalms in our own lives. And last week we looked at Psalm 120, the very first one, and today we're going to look at the very next one, Psalm 121. And so what we're going to do is, that it's, again, it's pretty short, eight verses, so we'll read it all at the outset and then we'll break it down. There's really four major sections, um, four couplets that we'll kind of explore today and see what this psalm might say to our lives uh, in a totally different culture, a totally different time and place in the world, but yet it still has a similar, very similar message that it would have originally. So Psalm 121, we'll read it here uh, before we kind of break it down. And here's what it says. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Other translations would say, where does my help come from? And he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. So God, I pray today as we look at this psalm that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, comfort us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us with this message uh, of protection and of hope and of sustenance that you have for us on our journey. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this psalm, Psalm 121, again, pretty short and sweet, a pretty famous, especially the first couple of lines there, pretty well known for those of us that are familiar with the Old Testament scripture. But there's, there's a lot here to sort of unpack in this really short psalm. So again, think about we have a traveler who's just on their way out the door to this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so as they're on their way, the first verse here says, I look up to the mountains, where does my help come from? And so as they're on this journey, kind of setting out on this journey, it could be a few days, so they're going to have to kind of camp out at night. So what we see here is there's some inherent danger on this journey. There's some obvious danger on this journey. And there's really two kinds. One is maybe more obvious than the other, so we'll talk about them both briefly. There's first what I would call outer danger. Just the obvious terrain that they may be traveling on could be treacherous at times. Rocky, uneven, maybe there is a bit of a climb if they're because Jerusalem's up on a hill. It's literally a city on a hill. And so they're going to have to climb up. So when they look up toward Jerusalem, they have to look up to the hills because that's where they're going. That's where they're headed. And they, there might be, you know, uh, wild animals they have to look out for. There might, again, the weather is going to fluctuate. We'll talk about that more in detail in just a couple of minutes. And there's also a danger of thieves robbers on on the road 
Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan, one of his most famous parables, and he says there was a traveler going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we know that there's a danger here just traveling outside of the walls of the city that you live in, outside of your safe little community. Until you get into the walls of Jerusalem, there's danger there. There's outer danger. There's also what may be a little less obvious, but there's also inner danger. And that is, again, Jerusalem is built on a hill. It's built on a high place. But Jerusalem is not the only city or the only holy city or city of worship that's built on a high place. All major cities of worship are built on high places at this time and in this area. So all of these false gods and false idols, their altars are built on high places, as high up as you can, so that the god, the idol, is above everything and everyone as much as it's able to be. So here's what we see. On the way to true worship, the worshiper can look up and have other options for false worship. So when they think about the outer danger that's around them, they can look up and say, well, maybe that God will protect me. Maybe this idol will give me uh, protection. Maybe, maybe they'll watch out for me. Well, yeah, obviously I have the God of Jerusalem, but there's also other options that internally the worshiper on their way to worship the true God has these options around them of worshiping other things, finding other means for safety, for provision, for protection. So again, there's this inner danger within them, this struggle, and we face the same struggle all the time. We look around us and we try to find other options for acceptance, for provision, for all these other things that we feel like we lack. We, we have options around us, and sometimes we fall into the trap of this inner danger of giving in to this other way, uh, this other means of finding what I'm looking for. Now, we ultimately know that God is the ultimate way that we need to follow, the ultimate everything that we need we find in him. But again, that temptation is always there. That inner danger is always lurking for more of our heart, more of our attention, more of our time, more of our esteem, more of our worship. And so we, like the traveler in Psalm 121, when we look up at our, at our issues and problems, we can feel like, ooh, I don't know if God's going to take care of me. I have to do it. Well, I don't know if he'll provide. I better do this instead. I better look over here instead. Or I don't feel accepted, and I don't know that God's there, so I've got to do more to find acceptance, to gain acceptance. We do it all the time. There's always that inner danger for us as well. But the psalmist writes in the next verse, he says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So what the psalmist says here is, I'm not just going to look to the hills. I'm going to look above the hills. I'm not just going to look to the mountains. I'm going to look to the one who made the mountains. And it's the same thing when we look at our issues, our problems, our shortcomings. They can look big. And that's all we can sometimes see is the issue in front of us, the problem in front of us. Can I give you the same encouragement that this, the author of this psalm did? you got to look above the problem to find the solution. You look above the difficulty to find the answer. If you just look at the problem, it's going to seem insurmountable. It's going to seem too heavy. It's going to seem too much. We look above the hill, above the mountain, to the one who made them. And that's where we ultimately find our hope and our help. And it reminds me of Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Again, like in this psalm is in the other one, God is the source. God is my hope. God is my help. He is my only option that is really 
real. It's really going to make any difference in my life. If I'm in danger, he says, God, pull me out. Lead me higher to a safe place. So we know from the first two verses here that the writer goes to God for help. We we know that. So I have options. I have issues. I have difficulty. But I'm going to look to the one who made the hills. I'm going to look to him. That's where my help comes from. But what specifically does God do to help? And that's really the the main idea where we're going to go today. What what specifically can we get from this psalm to show that God is our help? What things can we look to? What things can we grab a hold of from these scriptures today to see how God is our help? There's really three ways. Again, there's, there's three other couplets here that we're going to look to to find three ways that God is our ultimate source of help. So let's read verses 3 and 4 again and see what it says. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. So what we see here, the first way that God helps us is that he is our sure-footed guide. God is our sure-footed guide. If God made the hills, then he knows the path to take so we can follow him. If God knows, if God made the path, he, he knows the best path to take. Psalm 1611, David writes this in the Psalms. He says that you, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can follow our sure-footed guide. He knows the path to take, and he will lead us on that path. And then David also writes in Psalm 23, verse 3, he says, You lead me down the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God knows where he's going. He is our sure-footed guide. He doesn't get lost. He doesn't need directions. He doesn't have to recalculate. Okay? He knows when there's a detour. He knows the best path to go. He's a sure-footed guide. We can trust him, and we can and should follow him. And also what this verse shows us is that we can relax on our journey. You know why we we can relax? Because God doesn't need to. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't take naps. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't have an energy bar like at the top of your phone. You know, he doesn't wear out. He doesn't get, you know, tired. He He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to take a little cat nap or a power nap. We can relax because God doesn't need to. We can rest in him because he doesn't need to rest. He's a sure-footed guide. You know, one of my favorite kids' songs, church songs growing up, was this one. I've got the whole world in my hands. You like that one? I didn't sing that right. I don't know if you didn't hear what I said. I've got the whole world in my hands. That's how we live most of the time. But the song is he's got the whole world in his hands. He knows the path to take. I don't have to be in charge. That's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to make it if it's up to me. I'm going to crack if it's up to me. I'm going to get tired and worn out and fall asleep and pass out halfway through the journey. But it's not up to me to do that. I'm not not leading this thing. I'm following the sure-footed guide. He's got the whole world. He's got you in his hands. He's leading you and guiding you. And the challenge is for us to follow him. You can take a load off. You can rest in God. You can get out of the way and follow your sure-footed guide. The second, then, the, well, the third section here, verses 5 and 6, we'll read it again as well. It says, the Lord himself watches over you. Just think about that for a second. 
with all the stuff that God's got going on in the universe, with all of the, the plates that are spinning, with all of the galaxies that we haven't even discovered yet that God made, right? With all of the millions and billions of people on earth, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So, the sun by day. I got a prop box back here. You ready? Get your cameras ready. Yeah, it's not, one, it's not that kind of prop box. All right, so is anybody superstitious? Are you a little stitious? Because I'm going to open up this umbrella indoors. So if you're going to freak out by that, then... I'm sorry. Oh, is it just me? Oh, because I'm such a manly man, I don't have a parasol. So this is the best shade that I could come up with. And it's not even a good one. I got our junky one just in case. And then I've got this. Should I put some of this on? Sunscreen? Oh, the, okay. I thought you were going to say yes. Okay. No, I was going to do that, but no. I, I forgot to put a rag in here to wipe it off. So here's, okay, God does this for you. When life is hot and heavy, when things are bearing down on you, when you're like, oh, I'm going to roast out here, this is what God does. Whatever combo you need, he's got you covered, okay? Whatever the situation is, no matter how difficult life is and your job is and your family is, and it's just weighing, it's like, oh, I'm going to, I just need a break, all right? And he's got like a whole like gallon thing of water. It's like, let's just, again, take a load off. I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. It's fine. No big deal. He's got your shade. He's like, just come right over here. I'll protect you. You're fine. You're worried. Have I given you enough time to take pictures? I, I do it on purpose because I don't want pictures taken. So should I just pause for a second like I'm promoting this item? Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. I, I paused long enough. All right. So. What? Oh, this product? Yeah. I'm just layering it. That's what God does, though. He layers it on. He gives you as much protection as you need and really as much as you're willing to take. Right? Because you can do this. Oh, I'm okay, God. And then you're like, oh, it's so bright now. God, where'd you go? He's like, I had that protection for you right there. And you're like, whoa, it's really hot. I really could use some shade, God. And he's like, I had it. And you just kind of threw it away. And you're like, whoa, you know, the top of my head is just going to get burned here if I'm not careful. And my little poor little face is just going to, my ears are going to burn. And he's like, well, I tried to protect you, right? You have to be willing and you have to want to be protected. So when things come at you, if you've kind of left God on the back burner, on the, he's like just a little part of your life. He's like a percentage of your life instead of the focal point, the rock, the foundation of your existence. You're going to find yourself heat stroke. You're going to find yourself sunburned. You're going to find yourself, oh, I'm, I just can't make it anymore. I can't take the heat. Ooh, I'm not even in the kitchen. The kitchen's way over there, but it's just so hot. Like the protection's there. Let God be your protection. He's protection by day. But then, just like we live in the Midwest, so you know how the weather changes. <laughs> so quickly. So in a desert climate, Psalm 121, the same thing happens. So he's your protection by day from the sun. But then guess what? When it gets dark at night and the moon comes out, you're going to need some warmth. And what's better than a Snuggie? Very few things. So God wants to be your Snuggie today. Did you know that? God, I don't know if I can even get this on. I'm, I'm going to try. can tell I've never used one of these because I don't even know how it works. Yeah, oh, yeah, whoops. But then, 
This might not even be enough, right? So God's also got like the winter coat. I didn't even know I had this. I found it in the closet this week. So here's the deal. I'm looking really good right now. You really need to get a picture of this. So if you're like, man, it's cold, and I feel cold shoulders from people, and, and I just feel like I'm all out by myself, and I'm vulnerable in the elements, and God, what am I going to do? He, he says, hey, I got you. He even flips the collar for you sometimes. Woo! And then guess what? At night, maybe, you know, the moon has, it reflects some sunlight, but maybe it's really cloudy in your life right now. Maybe you're in a really dark place in your life right now. God's got you covered. So, when, so it's not just that he's a guy, a sure-footed guy during the day. When you can see, it's like when you can't see where to go next, he's got you covered. Right? When you don't know what, what decision to make, what step to take, and it's like, ooh, I'm all on my own here. I'm cold. I'm going to freeze to death. He's like, I got you. We're, we're going to make this together. So when you can't see what to do, you're, he's there. When you're in a dark place, in your, maybe in your emotions, in your spirit, in your mental life, he's got you covered. He's a sure-footed guide, and he's also a shelter for every season. I don't even think I've said what, that, what this main point is yet. I'm so excited about these props. But he's a shelter for every season. Woo! Man, I don't even know what I'm doing up here. I think, I think I'm good. All right, this is why I don't do props. All right, there we go. So he's a shelter for every season. And so if, you're, if your life is like the Midwest and it changes like every six hours... You know, I went to work and it was freezing cold and I get out of work and it's like, you know, summertime all of a sudden. God's got you. He, he's, you know, like a Swiss army knife. He can just do whatever need, whatever is needed at any moment. So if you're out in the, in the heat and you're going to die, he'll shade you. If you're out in the cold at night and you're lost and alone, he's got light and he's got shelter and covering for you and for your life. He's a shelter for every season. He's MacGyver. I like that. That's good. MacGodver. Yeah, so there we go. We can make a TV show for like Angel Vid or something. MacGodver. Um, there's a couple other things, though, about the sun and the moon that are very interesting, though, that I want to cover very quickly. The first is when you look at really how the original reader would have, would have seen this, they would have seen the obvious thing that we just looked at there, even without the Snuggie, because that wasn't invented yet, right? But they would have known this. The world at that time, and it, well, it still does, but it operated by the lunar calendar. And so when, when they would have seen, seen the word sun there and the word moon in the scripture, it would have said something very specific to the original reader. So the word sun, when you look at the calendar, always refers to a daily thing, the day. And the moon talks about every month, like the, the, the cycle of the moon, the lunar calendar. So what the original reader would have seen here is that God's going to protect me every step of the way and like the little things daily by the sun by day and the moon at night. So the longer things, the bigger things, the things that I really stress about and worry about, God takes care of those too. The little insignificant things every day, he cares and takes care of us. He's a shelter in those. The big things that overwhelm us and worry us, he's a shelter in those times as well, the sun and the moon. So he protects us in all seasons. He's a shelter for every season. And then the last two verses of this psalm say this. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. So what we see here at the end of the psalm is that God is our stable guard. He's our stable guard. He's always there. So we look at this scripture. A lot of scholars will, will make this connection between this psalm and what we call the priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6. 
So you can see, almost kind of see the similarities here. So in, in Numbers chapter 6, uh, the, the priestly prayer is, May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his face to you and give you his peace. There's a lot of similarity between that priestly prayer and this, these last two verses of Psalm 121. And the key here is this word keep. That's the theme of this entire psalm is that God keeps us. So in every season, on every path, at every moment, we're kept. We're under his watchful care. We're not on our own. We're not left to our own devices. He keeps us from all harm. That's the key phrase here in this section, though, is he keeps us from all harm. Because what I want to point out just for a minute here is the difference between hurt and harm. So this verse does not say he will keep you from all hurt. Here's the difference. Hurt is what happens to you. Harm is how it affects you. Those are different things. Hurt is what happens to you. Harm is how it affects you. So the promise here is God will keep you from all harm because life happens to all of us. If you live long enough, you will get hurt in some way, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally. It doesn't matter what situation, what it is. You will face hurt. God never promises a life free of hurt. So let me just caution us, when, when things happen, don't let problems in your life keep you from God or distance you from God. Don't let them make you mad at God like he broke a promise. He never promises a life that's free of problems. Never. You will not read a scripture that says that at all. He says, I'll keep you from harm, not hurt. There is that difference. So things will happen to you that adversely affect you. You will face difficulty in your life. You will encounter challenges in your life. You will have to deal with setbacks in your life. You will be maybe the butt of someone's joke at some point in your life. You will be mistreated by somebody in your life. You will be talked about by somebody sometime in your life. You will face things that happen in your life. Tragedy will befall you. Suffering will happen. It's part of the human condition. We are fallen, sinful creatures on a fallen, sinful planet that is ruined by sin. It will happen. But what happens to us does not have to define or affect what we do with it. I'm actually, I'll kind of get, get you ahead here. I'm actually working on kind of a series for the spring about this idea. Maybe that's why I saw that uh, so clearly this week. Is things will happen, but how we, how we are affected by them is really what matters. Okay? So hurt, hurt and harm. And also this, don't, don't mistake the hurt in your life that God's angry with you all the time. Like, don't mistake difficulty as, man, I must be on God's naughty list this year. Sometimes it could be the opposite of that. Let me, let me, let me share a couple scriptures about that. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, that is why I am suffering as I am. He's talking about his proclamation of the gospel. Him sharing the gospel has got him in prison again. Okay? He's suffering. He says, yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard. There's that word. He's a, he's a stable guard. He's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So he's saying, I'm suffering because of the gospel, but I know that God will guard the work that I've done for the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here in this scripture. So Paul is a man who was a great man, did a lot for, for Jesus, right? Wrote half the New Testament, basically. What's interesting, though, is that he's a man that endured a lot of suffering. 
Um, he's ridiculed. He's lied about. Uh, he's threatened. He's chased down. He's literally stoned and left for dead two times. Two times. People think that he is dead, and they leave him to just rot in the street, and he's not quite all the way dead yet. One of the times, it almost appears as if he was dead and he was resurrected. We don't know that for sure, but the language there is very close to showing us that. Uh, and so Paul is a man who faced suffering. There's a reason he traveled with a doctor full time. All right? There's a reason he had a medical doctor named Luke. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote Luke and Acts. There's a reason that Luke traveled with Paul. Paul needed medical care all the time because of suffering and other physical ailments that he dealt with. So this good man, this godly man, he wasn't being judged by God. He wasn't being punished by God. He's just suffering. Sometimes, he's, many times, he's suffering more because of his following of Jesus. At least four of the 13 letters Paul wrote were written from prison, at least four that we know of. So a third of the work that Paul did was from a jail cell, nasty, musty, dark, damp, rat-infested cell, right? So, and in those letters, you know, Paul's encouraging people in this. He's saying, hey, you guys can do this, and God's with you, and he gives instruction, and he gives theology, and he says, hey, I'm going to tell you more about how great God is while you're in a cell. Yep. So again, hurt did not turn into harm for Paul. He was not ashamed, but he said, I believe, and I'm convinced more and more of God's goodness. Here's Peter's advice to us about suffering, about hurt in our lives. 1 Peter 4.19, Peter says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will, that's important. If you suffer because you're an nincompoop, that's on you. Okay, that's Peter. That's in the Greek somewhere, I think. I don't know. Uh, if you suffer according to God's will, you should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So when we suffer and when we endure hurt, we can either quit or we can commit. That's what Peter tells us. You can quit. You can throw him a towel. I can't do this. I'm done. I'm out. It's not worth it. Maybe it'll be better on my own here, which it won't, but that's what we tell ourselves. We can quit or we can commit. I can dig in my heels. I can double down. I can be more convinced than ever that, okay, yeah, it seems really scary right now, and it seems like I don't know if I'm going to make it, but, God, I'm going to trust you anyway. If I'm really following what you want for my life and I'm trying to do what you have willed for me to do, I know there's going to be pain along the way despite any of that, and sometimes because of that, but I'm not going to let pain, I'm not going to let hurt turn into harm. We can either quit or commit. So how do we do that, though? One more scripture as we kind of wrap it up today. How, how can we keep from turning hurt that happens to all of us into harm that adversely affects us? Because here's, here's the danger. Hurt that goes unchecked becomes harm in the same way that a nasty cut will become infected without proper care. That's what I'm talking about here. So we're going to get hurt, but if we don't give it to the Lord, if we don't commit it to our stable guard, it will turn into an infection. It will affect other areas of our life. It will affect other relationships that weren't involved. Like this person hurt you, but yet you take it out on them. What we do that, we do that, don't we? We allow hurt to become harm. How do we keep that from happening? Here's how. Philippians 4, verse 7. Paul says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, allow God to be your stable guard. We need God to be the guardian of our minds. Otherwise, whenever hurt comes to us and it creeps in, worry starts to fill our minds. 
fear starts to invade our minds. Well, what about this? And what about that? And I don't know if I should. And instead of doing what we're called to do and, and born to do, and our, I mean, we know we should do, we do the wrong thing or don't do anything because we've not allowed God to be the guardian of our mind. We cannot allow fear, doubt, unbelief, those things to creep in. We have to have him as the guard of our mind. Same thing with our heart. You need a guard for your heart because when you're emotionally wounded and scarred, if you let that thing build up and fester, it turns from a hurt to harm, and it looks you, we become bitter, become angry, become vengeful, become just rotten to be around in general. We, we lose kind of that spark we used to have because we've not dealt with it. We've let that kind of creep in and grow and become a huge infection that really becomes a huge problem. We've let the hurt become harm. We need the guardian for our heart. We need a guardian for our emotions. Otherwise, our emotions look like the Midwest weather we just talked about. Woo! Up and down. I'm unpredictable, and I'm not reliable, and I'm everywhere, and I'm off the charts here, and literally five minutes later, I'm off the charts there. We need a guardian for our emotions to keep us balanced, keep us in check, not let things really just freak us out all the time so quickly, so often. We need a guardian for our emotions, a stable guard. Then we need a, a guard for our soul. We need a guard. So, because again, when all this hurt happens and all these things happen and life comes at us so quickly and things seem out of control, what we talked about at the beginning, it's easy to look to other things to find what we're looking for besides the real person we should be looking for. We can look for money or for more money to solve our deficiency. Uh, we can look, for, we can try to act a certain way to gain approval in this area. We can maybe do this thing that's maybe not, you know, above board so that we can find acceptance or get an inroad in with this person or group or make this situation work out. And we, we forget we need a guardian for our soul. We need God to keep us locked in on him, his will, his plan for our life, his direction, his peace, his fulfillment, his joy. We need a guardian, a stable guard for our soul, and we have one in God. Again, God never promises a life without hurt, but as, as God is our stable guard watching over us, being there for us, keeping us propped up, we can keep hurt from becoming harm. So on this journey that you're on, are there dangers? Yes. Are there unknowns? You bet. Are there things, blind corners that I can't see what's coming next? Yes. And so sometimes I get really afraid, and sometimes I feel lost, and sometimes I feel really cold, and sometimes I lose direction, or I lose focus, or I get distracted, or I let hurt become harm, and everything's just then thrown off. So again, here's the encouragement. We have to follow our sure-footed guide. He's in charge. He's leading. Let's follow him. Let's faithfully follow. That's what a disciple is, a follower. Let's follow. We need to find shelter for every season in God. Not in these other things, not in these other means, not within ourselves, but shelter for every season that we face in life, day by day and moment by moment. And we need to lean into our stable guard. That's the key for victory on this journey. That's the key to a successful journey on this path as we are pilgrims. It's to say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to look for everything that I need in you. And we will find that this journey is much more fruitful, much more enjoyable, and much more the way that God designed it as we follow him on this journey.